Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the ALP, host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPL. I want to thank you for downloading and listening. This podcast depends on, upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you, can, if you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate to it via Patreon. The link for Patreon is in the show notes. If you'd like to join the ALPL, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, visit us at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And the ALPO is also on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, also the Observer's Notebook has a Facebook page. Just search for the Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the podcast. In this episode, we talked to Roger Venable. He's the Mars coordinator for the ALPL. Um, unfortunately, we had some audio issues during the podcast. Um, this is something I'm not normally I normally have on the podcast, so I apologize in advance. We had a few dropouts and internet things. I think were going on. We actually started and stopped this this recording a few times, and this was the best one we had. So, again, I apologize in advance. Um, hope you enjoy it and listening to Mars. Thank you. I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Uh, we have Roger Venable, the Mars recorder for the ALPO, uh, today to talk about Mars. How you doing, Roger? I'm doing well. How about, how about you, Tim? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Fighting the cold, but I'll hang in there. Um, so, why don't you give everybody just a little bit of background about yourself before we get into Mars? All righty. Well, I I was asked to be coordinator uh, by uh, Walter Haas and Don Parker and Julius Benton of the ALPO, and uh, since then I've written uh, several uh, articles in the ALPO journal about observations of Mars, and uh, unfortunately during that time, those 11 years, I haven't had a good planetary telescope, so I haven't made many observations myself, but I have thousands of observations each year, each of Mars, from other observers, and, and uh, compile them diligently. It takes a lot of time to compile so many so many yeah, observations, but I appreciate that by the commitment of observers who get up in the middle of the night to look at a distant planet and then make a, a detailed report. It takes a lot of work on their part, too. Yeah, I, I, I've read your reports in the past years, and you have a lot of observations to go through and compile and to put the reports together. They're always pretty impressive, though. Thank you. Well, you know, we have a really exciting time on Mars right now. Yeah, we Mars do. Mars has been having a really big dust storm here since uh, May into the dust storm. This dust storm has progressed a lot more slowly than average. Um, I was talking with Richard McKim of the British Astronomical Association about this. It, it seems that on the average, planet, encircl planet encircling dust storms have taken about 10 days 
to go from start to complete obscuration of most of the planet. And we haven't had complete obscuration of the whole planet during this storm. Um, and, and it seems that new areas are still being covered here on about the 20, 24th day of the storm. Um, there are parts of the South Polar Cap that have never been covered and parts of Cimmerium Mari that have never been covered. Uh, so it's really not a global dust storm just yet. Um, but it's it's a fourth biggest one I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, this this 2018 apparition of Mars, it's it's a big one, right? It's it we're it we're closer than we've been in a few years, and and Mars will be larger um, apparent diameter than it's been in a few years. So just give me some of the numbers on that, please. Well, on, on the uh, gee, I hope I've got the the date right in front of me here. Let me let me get it right. The actual opposition date is the 28th of July. For us, then, on the that's when it's closest approach, approach that's directly opposite the sun. And due to the the uh, uh, elongation of Mars' orbit, uh, Mars will be uh, approaching the sun in its orbital swing. And uh, here, the closest approach is on July 31st. Um, it'll have a brightness of minus 2.8 magnitude, minus 2.8. That's pretty bright. That's that brighter bright. than Jupiter ever gets. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be directly opposite the sun in the sky, which means that as the sun sets, Mars will be rising at that time. Its apparent diameter will be 24.3 arcseconds. And um, that's, that's big enough that with ordinary binoculars, you may just be able to detect that it's not a star-like point of light with ordinary binoculars. You may be able to just perceive a disk on it rather than a point of light. One of the interesting things to me that, that happens during the dust storm like this is that Mars appears a little bit less red than it does when there's no dust. It actually appears a little more yellow-orange because the airborne dust is a slightly different color from the average color of Mars. How, how many observers do you have currently reporting in? Do you have a number? I really don't have a number. Let me guess. Uh, we have about uh, 50 okay. who've made reports. That's just a guess. Okay, and most of them you'll probably get after the operation? To most of them now, they'll, they'll string along. We'll just have more participate, uh, particularly as Mars becomes visible in the evening sky. More people will uh, have an interest in, in observing it. it. A lot of folks just in the middle of the night to see it. Mm -hmm. And so they, they observe more in the uh, yeah, it, later in the apparition when Mars is visible in the evening sky. What, what type of observations but, are you receiving right the, now? Most people now, observations right now are image, and most observers uh, are using the what's called commonly called the webcam. You know, it's a, a basal camera or a digital imaging camera that, that makes a video type image and they stack the images in a program like Registax or AstroStackert, uh, which takes the whole video stream and uh, averages the images. Uh, if you haven't ever tried this, it's amazing on a planet by stacking a bunch of images. As you watch the video, it just looks blurry, but when you stack the images, the computer automatically moves the image back and forth and so on, so that every video image stacks on top of the others, and it becomes remarkably crisp. It's amazing to see if you've never seen that. You can yeah. get one of these 
imaging cameras relatively inexpensively. That's true. That's true. I have I talked to Damian Peach uh, a few episodes ago about his astrophotos and Rick Hill about how they do it as well. And yeah, it's it's there's a learning curve with astrophotography imaging, but like you said, the software is amazing and most of it's free. So it really it's 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 a it's a good thing to get into. I think yeah. Great adventure, and one easy way to start is just to to uh, try it on the moon. A bit closer to Earth than it was uh, before opposition, four seconds in apparent diameter, and at quadrature ap- after opposition, it's going to be about nine arc seconds. So the evening part of the apparition will be a little better than the morning part, and people will have a, a long, uh, many months of uh, of good observing um, this autumn and and into the winter even so i'm looking forward to a whole bunch more uh, observers taking part that's good now you, you you touched on the dust storm that's on mars right there are, the, are they common we we actually see dust storms from earth with every apparition typically even uh, small ones uh during the course of the uh, uh or so that we have a, a good observing time uh, of mars um and usually they're small and only picked up by a now is enormous, covering almost all the planet at its largest extent, which appears to me to have been about a week ago. And uh, these, these big ones, are uncommon. The last one we had that, that uh, wrapped all the way around the planet was in 2007, and the last one before that was in 2001. On the average of about every nine years, uh, but there's we don't uh, expect that to be uh, like a ticking clock. It's not every nine years. Sometimes they're only a few years apart, and sometimes we go 15 years without such a storm. So it's unpredictable. Yeah, you mentioned that the the storm was at its maximum what a week or so a week or so ago. Um, we're recording this, by the way, on uh, June yeah. 24th. Let me, so let me so say, all right. Yeah, a lot of hear a lot of opinions about that right now because nobody's had a time had enough time to get all the hundreds of images that observers have submitted together in one place and observe it carefully for carefully for its and so on it's just a little difficult the storm is still ongoing there are very bright dust clouds now that are spreading over the area called solus lacus and over mari sirenum and so it's possible that there could be uh, further spreading of the dust storm, but it seems uh, in other areas of the planet that the dust is a little less prominent, and we're beginning to see albedo features through the dust now better than we did a week ago. This is particularly true in the areas of uh, Certus Major and Hellas and Mari Sabias Sinus and Sinus Meridiani. So uh, some of the dust is clearing. What now, using that, let's say, what type of telescope or what's the, would you consider the minimum size telescope someone could use to um, see these dust storms and the features on Mars? Well, I think a four inch telescope can be used, but at that size, that's about as small as you can go with. And when people uh, go from a four inch to a six inch, they'll appreciate the increase because they'll see more with a six inch and again, more with an eight inch scope. I think that uh, serious observations, we do have uh, a number of 4-inch telescopes, very good drawings in particular, 
by a few uh, Mars artists. Um, so I, I don't want to belittle a four-inch telescope. You can see a lot with it. And uh, I remember I, I Mars prior to the opposition of 1971, uh, before that dust storm began, the big... Uh, a four-inch telescope. You can you can see a lot on Mars with a four-inch telescope, but if you have the increased uh, uh, resolution and increased identification of the features. Now, uh, color filters, they also help enhance what you're seeing as well. Can you talk a little bit about what color filters uh, one might use when observing Mars? Yeah, they really help a great deal with this planet. Um, a red filter should to be quite dark appearing, while the brighter uh, areas that we call, quote, deserts, unquote, are uh, uh, bright in red, and the albedo features, what we call the dark feature, so a red filter really brings out the detail, and uh, with any telescope, you'll really identify those uh, albedo features much better in red light. Uh, a blue filter brings out clouds, and a deep blue filter, uh, particularly a W47, a Rattan 47 filter, which some people call a violet filter, you scarcely see the surface of Mars at all. You can't see through the atmosphere, but you see the, uh, the clouds. The clouds stand out brightly in deep blue or violet. And um, you can usually see the polar caps through the atmosphere, but, but the clouds are the thing that you really see well in blue. Green is interesting because it does show albedo features perhaps as well as you see them uh, with no filter at all. You can see the albedo uh, light, but green also shows something of clouds and particularly hazes and fogs or maybe frost on the surface. Uh, you can distinguish it from clouds because low-lying uh, atmospheric features like clouds and even frost on the surface, but they are visible in green. Usually red light sees right through them, so you can't see them in red either. So we usually say use red, green, and blue filters on Mars, and those who study the planet always use these filters. Imagers use them as well. Most imagers now are doing mono, use a monochrome camera, and they make images in red, and images in green, and images in blue, and so that we can uh, ascertain whether they were seeing clouds or dust storms or versus frosts and hazes and then they combine them into a, a, a color composite uh, image as well but the individual color images tell us an awful lot about what we're seeing on Mars both visually and with imaging. That's fascinating. I've, yeah I've done a lot of varied observations on Mars using different color filters and it really does bring out the different details that you're looking at. It's it's pretty pretty amazing what uh, a little $15 accessory will do to your telescope. Well, I was going to say this is a right now the the big dust storm we're seeing is really quite uh, to my knowledge all the large dust storms of the past have begun in the southern hemisphere of Mars. Um, essentially all of them between from Hellas to the Noachus area over to Argyre, uh, there uh, in uh, these are longitudes 270 over to about 30 uh, degrees, and that particular part of the planet, uh, typically in early southern summer, 
the dust storms have begun. Um, let me see. I have the mean written down here somewhere. The uh, the er, in fact the earliest was in two uh, at at a lot Martian solar longitude of two thousand uh, two hundred four degrees, and the latest was at three hundred twelve degrees. And uh, let's see, the mean was longitude. This one began at solar longitude of 185, which is by far of the dust storms, earliest in the Martian season. This is actually in fairly early spring. Most of them begin in early So this storm is unusual in that respect, but it's also unusual in that instead of forming in the Hellas to Noachus to Argyre area of Mars, it formed on the opposite side of the equator in the northern hemisphere. Hmm. It started in a place called Mare Acidalium. This is very unusual. It's the only one that's done that. So this big dust storm is so unusual in these two respects. One, it's earlier uh, in the year. Second, began in the northern hemisphere. That's interesting. That's that's. Any idea why? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea why. Okay. I'm uh, sure the series of observations, somebody's going to come up with a theory of why it did it this way. But that's that's. I did not know that that this is one is really unusual as opposed to the past ones. Now. Um, what could, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that wants to contribute to the Mars section during this opposition? I'd say uh, use what telescope you have. That's the way to start. Assuming it's four inches or larger in diameter, use what telescope you have. Uh, before you observe a planet, remember it's not like deep sky observing. We're looking for fine detail instead of total light gathering power. And when you are looking at a planet, for fine detail, you need to make your make sure your scope is perfectly collimated before you begin observing. And secondly, you don't want to be pointing the telescope over your house or something because the roof is going to be hot this summer. And as you observe Mars, you'll find that even the the immediate area around you causes the area around you to be uh, the air so that you see these ripples in the image of Mars. It'd be really nice if you could be looking over a forest or over a field or something um, and allow your down to ambient temperature before you observe, and that'll give you better images. The second thing I would say is that um, observers should be using color filters. Amazed if they hadn't, haven't used them, they'll be amazed at how red, green, and blue filters enhance their views of the planet. Now, the Mars section has report forms, right, that they can download from the Internet? Yes, if they go to the ALPO website, that's alpo-astronomy.org, um, they, if they click on the Mars, uh, the Mars page will come up, and then when they, if they scroll down, there's a list on the right side of the load a blank observing form, download one that's filled out as an example of how to fill it out, and download an instruction sheet for filling it out. And if they would, uh, they can send those forms to me either digitally or by snail mail, and I'd be delighted to see to uh, see the report of any observation. Great, and I'll put the location, the web location of those observing forms uh, in the show notes so people can go directly to that and then go to the website and pick them up. That's wonderful. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Well, uh, the only thing I would I would say is that 
if you would like to get into observing Mars, the more often you do it, the better you're going to be at it. Planetary observing improves with practice. And um, when you first look, you may not quite know what you're seeing. But as you keep it up, you will develop a certain expertise in knowing what you're seeing. And uh, you'll really, uh, it'll be like seeing your old friends again. I liken it to watching the stars come out in the after the sun sets, your old friends gradually appear and you can point them out in the twilight as you look up at the stars. That's the way it is with the features of Mars. You know, the underlying albicho, albedo features change little from year to, from apparition to apparition and you'll get to know them and uh, they'll be your old friends and you'll, you'll just have a sense of satisfaction. Um, you don't always have to be a scientist, you know, sometimes you can observe just for the pleasure. That's true. That's a good point. Um, Roger, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. How can everybody get a hold of you? Well, I'm uh, I email. That's the best way. It's RJVMD. Let's see if I can say the words. Let's see. It's RJV is in Roger John D. That stands for my profession. At um, Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S dot net. Get many emails a day from observers. I'd be happy to receive email from. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I really want to thank our guest, Roger Venable, for coming on and talking about what's the latest on Mars. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. It brings more people to the podcast. And you can now listen on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. By giving up to $35 a month, where you will receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I really want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. If you'd like to contact me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. You can join the ALPO. Membership begins at only $14 a year. Just go to alpo-astronomy.org. And you can find the ALPO on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy, and the podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for the Observer's Notebook. And until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.